Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Well, I'm excited for another fun episode. You know, it's it's hard, Sydney, uh, when, when everything's kind of dire uh, on the planet Earth. I really uh-huh. look forward to recording Sawbones because it's a little bit of levity well, in my day, kind of a fun um, time that you and me can just kind of spend together and well, relax and goof about stuff, and I can't wait to hear you, about what our topic is this week. B- okay. Well, see, Justin, I, I try to do things that speak to medical history, but are also relevant to issues of today, like find that blending point, you know, especially with, with everything that's happening with the, you know, pandemic. And uh, so this, this specific topic is a little... Um, you know, not as light, maybe. Okay, what is the topic? Go ahead. I'm pretty much ready for whatever. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be pretty silly, but what's the topic? Death certificates. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. I well, okay. Here's why. Okay. I know this seems. I know this seems like a bummer. Mm. But there's mm. been a lot of talk in the media about death certificates. What's on them? Uh, there was the recent. Um, supposed like report that was put out by the CDC, although it was really just them. Re- they've, they've been releasing statistics constantly. So I, I don't think any nothing new was really done. It was just somebody looked at the data differently is the mm-hmm. way I would say it. But uh, basically, they there was a, a report that was circulated widely and was trending on Twitter for a while that only 6%, that was what was trending, by the way, only 6% of the deaths that have been attributed to COVID in this country are only from COVID. And the the way that it was worded, it, it sort of insinuated that all these other people that we've been told had succumbed to this disease actually died of something else and we've been lied to. Right. Um, that was not explicitly said, but I feel like that was the message a lot of people received and that was being amplified. Mm-hmm. And this data is coming from what was put on death certificates. And so I think it is important for us to understand what's put on a death certificate. Where did this idea come from? Why do we have them? Who fills them out? What mm-hmm. are they for? I think it's useful to talk about the history of that to understand why these claims that only 6% of you know these deaths are attributable to covid are completely false. Okay. Um 
does that is that okay for us to talk That's about? Fine. I mean, whatever. It's fine. I'll get my levity somewhere else. I'll, I mean, we still got a lot of Taskmaster to watch, so that'll I'm sure that'll pick up my spirit. So I'm gonna start with a West Wing reference. Does okay. that bring you joy? I was yeah. I was now thinking we're talking. I was thinking about like existentially. Why do we have a death certificate first? Mm-hmm. Like, because these are the idea of it is fairly old. I mean, not I guess Sawbones old because we talk about ancient stuff. But like, you know, it's fairly old. Mm-hmm. It's not a new creation. Um, and certainly there are like very practical applications for a document now that certifies someone is no longer living. I feel like um, the main <laughs> the main use of death certificates, as I understand them, is to find them in an old filing cabinet in a very darkened <laughs> room and like pull it out and look at it with a flashlight and like. It says right here, the cause of death was murder. Murder. <laughs> they listed murder. The modern beast thing. Uh, well, actually, the practical application now is to get like things canceled, like accounts canceled. Netflix. <laughs> Netflix goes into your house and literally, I think you do need it face, sometimes to cancel a Netflix face, account. Ba- Facebook goes into your, your <laughs> old cabinets and Z- Zucker nerds like, uh, hey, look, it, I found it. This They're really dead, so we can put the little flower on their account or whatever it is we do. Uh, so I, I think that like today in, in a world where everything is documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they have a lot of practical applications. But why? I kept thinking like, why when these first were a thing, because we're going to go back to the 1500s for this story. Why did it matter? Like, what what was the reason that we recorded this? What know. were we doing with this document? And I kept thinking of that West Wing, as if it matters how a man falls down, which is actually a misquote. I've learned this mm-hmm. from the Lion in Winter. Mm-hmm. So, just still not bringing you joy. Well, I mean... You didn't really set that up or anything. You just like referenced a misquote mm-hmm. on West Wing and kind of <laughs> moved on with it. I feel like half of that, I love you. I feel like half of that anecdote was in your head and uh-huh. the other half was in your mouth and we only got the mouth fart. <laughs> Why don't you back up just a little bit? Uh huh. Okay. The West Wing. You know, in the episode of West Wing, when Toby. <laughs> says to the president he's he says i was watching the line in winter just the part of the scene where he's they're telling him like be everybody like be a man face it like a man take death like a man kind of thing and he's like as if it fool as if it matters how a man falls down and then he responds when the fall is all that's left it matters very much mm-hmm. and that's for the line in winter and this is a yes. reference to when everybody's about to find out he has a mess right yes oh, yeah okay see good there we've contextualized <laughs> It wasn't always, obviously, in ancient history, we didn't record the way somebody died. There were lots of rituals surrounding burial, right? We know that. We know that there, throughout different cultures, there are lots of, like, things that you would do, ceremonies surrounding For, for most of history, death. we didn't really understand why people died. There was only two causes <laughs> of death, rock and curse. Either you were hit by a rock or a rock fell on you or a curse killed you. Those are the two causes of death early on, rock and curse. Well, you're not you're not wrong. This is this is part of why there weren't recorded, probably recorded documents for why people died is because the we didn't know. And for a lot of cultures, the reason someone died is 
the god or gods or yeah. whatever beings, immortal beings you your society worshipped, willed it so. Medical examiner back then was an easy job. It was like, hey, my dad died. Ah, bummer. Rock? Nope. Ah, curse. Ugh. <laughs> Hate to hear it. Anyway, bye. That'll be 200 pebbles. <laughs> so, 200, 200 grams of, sa- of salt. Also, if you look to, if you look to some cultures, if if you consider life, depending on what your beliefs are, if you consider your living state to just be like a preamble to the big the big show, which yes. is the afterlife, why does it matter? I don't know. The important thing is you get there. Yeah. Woof. This one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is dire. So, let's keep moving. So why would we write it down? That, that's the point. Why would we know, write Cindy, it down? Tell me. Who would? What would you write it on? Who would keep it? Papyrus. Where would it go? <laughs> like, what would we do with it? Will we etch it in a stone and then put it somewhere? Who would you show it to? Who would care? But would there just, I mean, there wasn't a good reason for it for right. a long time. Right. So it didn't exist. So... The idea of recording how people died in some sense was brought to us by the plague. A lot of things, mostly bad, we were brought to us by the plague. We don't credit for all the great stuff that <laughs> it brought us. The cool there are, masks. I was going to say, there, are, there is that great plague doctor costume. Oh, man. I'm reading that. I just finished uh, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which is a mystery novel about it's kind of like a mystery mixed with Groundhog's Day doesn't matter but one of the the, the antagonists in that book is a, a plague doctor who wears a plague mask and every time I think of it it's like it's just so creepy it's, it is it's a creepy look mm-hmm. it's not pleasing I don't know why they thought that would bring sucre to people who are well, it wasn't by the plague. If you remember, it wasn't really about I that. I know but they could have put <laughs> some teddy protecting... bear ears on it or something a star sticker right? Like something. Well, I, I don't think I don't think there was any intention to uh, cheer anybody up because the reality was the plague was really bad. And if you got it, there was a good chance you would die. And so I, I think the doctors were just, you know, kind of being honest. I don't want to get it. So, yeah, I'm wearing this scary costume. Fair. OK, I, I, I'm carrying a stick to poke you with because I'm not going to touch you. Like, yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't think there's any dressing it up. Yeah. Um. But the original recordings of deaths were not ju- were not like death certificates like we'd think of them today. Everybody didn't get one. It was just like a list. Here is a list of causes of death, and it would be divided in like, here's how many men died, how many women died, how many children died, and then here's a list of things that they died of. So in these very early documents, they were really just for plague. How many people died of plague? It seems like an important thing to know. That was and that was the the reason that the first one, uh, which and initially, by the way, they were called bills of mortality. So it is a a list. Uh, Fifteen twelve in London is where we see the first one, and this one just certainly said or just simply says uh, in this specific time period over the last couple weeks, thirty four people died of plague, and thirty two people died of other stuff. L- so- literally, it just says like odor diseases or no. whatever in old English, but like rocks. Curses. <laughs> well, no, plague. it doesn't even list that stuff. It just um, says 34 plague, 32 other diseases. And that's um, it. So it's kind of like more of a census than mm-hmm. an individual thing. And, and and it usually just conform. It usually just inform people about plague. That was the original idea because 
it was they were tied to locations. So I guess you could kind of think like, well, that bill of mortality from that part of the city or from that region of the country or whatever is higher like uh, in plague. So I won't go there. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how you get disease, but plague seems to be there. So I won't go there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So that that was like the the very early idea. Why would you write this down? Well, here's a here's a reason. We don't understand that this is infectious, but we do understand that like we don't like to be around it. Perfect. Okay. Um, then in the early 1600s, we start to see that kind of made a weekly thing. You know what? This is a good idea. We need to keep track of this. Um, the plague at that point, it would you'd have good and bad years. The plague was always there. And then there would be years where it hit people really hard and like whole courses of years where it did. And then other times where it wasn't such a big deal. Um, but they started doing them weekly. And then in 1629, which happened to be not a particularly bad year for the plague, King James I said, you know, let's just keep doing it anyway. Why don't we start, you know, weekly coming out with a bill of mortality that lists every way people died in this area, not just the plague. That's actually how Us Weekly got started. The, the foundation. <laughs> it used to be called Oops Weekly. And it was just... How long have you been thinking about that? <laughs> that you just now said it? Not long, just came to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so the names were still not part of these documents, right? We still don't have like, when I'm talking lists, again, we are just saying like, initially it was like, the heading was plague and then it was like men 20 women 18 whatever you know children 5000 we got <laughs> <in> control <laughs> uh now these documents would have lists of diseases with a number next to each disease here's how many people died of each of these diseases more this of a, week more of a scorecard <laughs> yes uh but still no names of anybody like we're still not breaking it down into like who are these actual humans that have died it's just a list so and we only knew of so many ways that people could die at this point we've moved beyond rock and curse but we still don't have like a huge complete list of all the things that could fell a human so we kind of made some up uh, some of these are real diseases just with some wild names and some of them aren't things you die of for instance a common cause of death on these documents would be teeth <laughs> <laughs> that was how it was listed and these are probably deaths related to teething and if you remember from our episode on teething you don't die from teething but teething got blamed for a lot of probably vaccine preventable diseases mm -hmm. that we, you know, don't die of today commonly because of thank you vaccines. Yeah. Um, instead, we didn't know about all that. So we blamed it on teething. So teeth would be a common cause. Um, King's evil. Wow. Which is a kind of tuberculosis. Okay. Uh, planet struck. I like that one. <laughs> What's that? Um, that was probably just some sort of like sudden attack or something. You were stricken all at once mm. in some way. Uh, then it, and it happened all at once. So I, I don't know. It could have been a stroke. It could have been a heart attack. Could have been, um, who knows? But some sort of all at once. Rising of the lights had something to do with the lungs. It was some sort of respiratory connotation. Uh, there was mold fallen, which mm. had to do with the head. Uh, anything it, it had to do with like, especially like trauma to the head or like um, in a child that was born where like the skull was malformed. 
Mold. Mold fallen. And then there were some really obvious ones like scalded in a brewer's mash at St. Giles. Rough one. So there you go. That one's very, yeah, you get a very clear picture of that. Uh, If you have no idea, you could just say suddenly. There were always a number of deaths attributed to, quote unquote, suddenly. (laughs) We don't know. And there were other good ones. We didn't Uh, see a rock anywhere around there, folks. It's tough to say. This one's a mystery for history. There was wind, blasted, itch, liver grown. Excessive drinking. I think we could figure that one out. Yeah. Uh, wolf. There was one bill that attributed eight deaths to wolf. I. It's a bad. It's a bad wolf. It's a bad. <laughs> uh, so they just listed all these things, and they would try to kind of categorize them if they could. Obviously, like in the case of the Brewers Mash incident. That's probably that not a writes category. It, that one writes itself. That's an afternoon off right there. <laughs> a lot you, of work. It's interesting because you can look at these bills of mortality and see very specific incidents that occurred listed. Like, oh, that was Steve. Because you you know who, you know, were scalded in the brewer's mash. But then there would be just numbers of, of things like blasted, which I don't know, could be anybody. Um the way that they came up with these lists is really interesting. So the parish clerks were put in charge of the whole process of, of compiling and printing and releasing these documents. Um, the city would like contract them to do it. And the what they would do then is outsource the actual like dirty work, go find out how people died to people called seekers. And this has nothing to do with... A golden snitch. Thank you. Yes. Good. Thanks. No. Not a. Not the mood. No. Not those kind of seekers. These are usually uh, little old ladies, <laughs> and they would usually like pair them up, and they would pay them to go out. When what would happen is if somebody died within a parish, they would ring the chapel bell, and the sexton would hear the bell ring, and then go tell the seekers like, "Hey, there's been a death." Go figure it out. And so then they would go <laughs> investigate to try to ask this questions. Ha- okay, what time period is this? <laughs> uh, we're talking about like the 1600s. Okay. They were also called sometimes searchers or specifically plague searchers. I'm, uh, c- please continue. I've got to uh-huh. Google to see if this is a series of mystery novels. It absolutely has to be. Are you telling me there's a period in history where we were tasking <laughs> old women with investigating murders and it's not just like the basis of all these? <laughs> So, I mean, it didn't have to be old ladies, but what you wanted is like these people didn't necess- didn't necessarily have any medical training or any kind of any training. Um, but you wanted people who could go and like ask questions and poke around and find out some information and not be I mean, because you you were trying to be sensitive, like you didn't want them to you wanted to get the information for whatever purposes for government purposes but at the same time you it was dictated by the local parish so they were trying to be aware that someone has lost someone you know Mm -hmm. so like you needed people who could get the information find things out but also be sensitive Mm -hmm. did you find any mystery novels no apparently this is like untapped uh, so that once they came up with something, they'd go back, they'd report it to the parish clerks, they would make up the documents, they'd print them weekly. Um, they always had to be released, by the way, to the authorities first. Like the Lord Mayor had to review it before the um, public could get it or the press could get it. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing. It was like before the press could open it, there were like l- three locks on the chest held by different 
authorities who all had to unlock it before the press got their copy of the Bill of Mortality. Um, control of this, especially during a plague, was very vital. You didn't want this to just get out and alarm people. Uh, so they, they kept it under lock and key until the authority said, OK, fine, you can release the Bill of Mortality. Um, eventually they made like a blank sheet with just all the diseases listed on them that you could just easily fill in numbers just for expediency, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that what this did though, is it caused you to need to shuffle all these different causes of death into this list, right? Like you begin to narrow your idea of how a person could die because they, because of the document that was pre-printed that you had to put the numbers on. Right. So occasionally they would have to like add a category for like drown in the moat or whatever. But for the most part, they, they had to try to fit them into these different categories. Um, in 1662 is when we first see a use for this data. Like you've, you have these bills of mortality. You're printing them and giving them to the public weekly. What do you do with all that? You got all this data. You have all this info. It's a shame your dad wasn't alive back then. He would have loved that. He would have loved a, that. A weekly paper that just is causes of death for people. He would prop up his feet, get some coffee, and really make a meal of it. That would be every Sunday dinner for us, though. Yeah. Like, would be him you telling see us. this? 62 from Rock this week. <laughs> the Rocks, I'm telling you, it's a problem. Uh, so a haberdasher named John Grant, for whatever reason... I guess maybe he was like my dad. He liked these mortality bills. He was really into them. And so he decided, I'm going to collect all these mortality bills I can. He got ones from 1629 through 1660. And he started taking all these numbers and compiling them into tables of information. He, I guess he just likes statistics. So this makes sense, right? He like must, this must is have been so frustrating when he realized he couldn't upload that data to Reddit. Like <laughs> I'm history's first internet weirdo. <laughs> I can't, I can't upload this to Reddit because it hasn't been invented. It won't for many hundreds of years. But uh, it's, it's wild to think like it makes total sense to us now because what he was making were like common causes of death. What kills people? And once you decide you want to know what is what is a common cause of death, what you know, what what is what's taking us out, you automatically begin to ask the next question, which is, well, can we stop it? Can we prevent it? How can we prolong life? Mm -hmm. Well, here are the most common reasons that it ends. So let's address them. So it, it was really a huge step forward that this guy who made hats for a living took. Yeah. By compiling this data. Um, it, it, it's a really fascinating moment in medical history where we all went, oh, well, if we got these numbers, let's do something about let's them. Let's not die. So, but before we do that. Not die. Not die. We have to get a little more personal. So I want to tell you about how did the how did the actual death certificate arise from this. But before I do that. Let's go to the billing department. Commerce before not dying. That is the American <laughs> way. I love it. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that... no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky 
podcasting superstar? I don't think I was going Squarespace, to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, And the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Okay. So, Sydney. So, we have these bills of mortality. We still don't have names. If we're going to get to a death certificate, we have to care about who these individuals are that died of itch or wind or wolf or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You you need a little more info. Because so far, all we have occasionally gender, a vague idea of age with man, woman, children, whatever that means, but you still don't have any other data about it. Mm -hmm. What really changes uh, the bills of mortality to death certificates is the revolutionary period of human history where we start to see this focus on individual rights. It's the idea that the individual matters as opposed to just this kind of collection of humanity that we can put on a piece of paper all of a sudden that seemed very cold to people that seemed very Mm -hmm. dehumanizing and along with us demanding our rights to assemble or free speech or oppress or casting off authoritarian leaders alongside all that as that happened across the globe 
you see bills of mortality moving to lists of actual people who died moving to individual sheets of paper for each person who died. Hmm. It's it's really fascinating how it's connected to this idea that documenting it gives it value. Yes. Hmm. An individual life now matters. You have a certificate when you're born and you get a certificate when you die because you matter. Hmm. Not the collective, you. Um, and so this this came about You're getting moved with it about death certificates. Aren't oh, you? It was a, it's a it's a moving idea it that is. you matter. Yeah, I gr- I'll grant you. <laughs> um, now, what was put on them didn't change a lot at first, right? Because we only knew about so many ways people could die, and we really didn't know what they were. Rock, nice rock, big rock, <laughs> curse. Suddenly, <laughs> and mash it, beer mash. At, at some point in here, it has to be said because this is sawbones. The doctor probably did it by accident while trying to cure me. Right. Needed to be added to the list. Right, 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 right. right. Bled to death by doctor. Oops. Unfortunate historical timing of existence. (laughs) Oops. Um, Now, in the 1830s, William Farr, who was an early kind of epidemiologist before we we had him before. I think we've talked about him in in epidemiologic terms. he created a registry for deaths and came up with a whole a whole lot more causes of death uh, to include on these documents. And as we look at this period of history where the taxonomy of different like medical illnesses had were was expanding, like our idea of putting things into categories and then branching those off into trees of diseases and all that mm-hmm. was happening, then we naturally expanded our causes of death from that as well. Right. So we go from a few dozen to over a hundred. And Jacques Bertillon, who was a French statistician would eventually restructure the whole thing into categories that like would make sense to us today. So like here are causes of death from respiratory illness here, are causes of death from infectious disease here, are causes of death. Well, communicable. Anyway, gotcha. using the terms of the day, the, it, it really, Bertillon, what he structured really mirrors our understanding of what can go wrong and why we die today. Um, what we do now, though, really out of this time period grew the system we use to categorize illness and death today. Um, the international st- Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, or the ICD, which currently ICD-10, is how we list what happened to a human, whether it be you're coming to see me in the office and you're there for a well checkup. There's an ICD code for that. If you're there because you have an ingrown toenail, there's an ICD code for that. If you're there for um, non-specified upper respiratory viral illness, whatever. If you have died, there is an ICD code for that. What are you doing in the office at that point? (laughs) Um, the, The history of that actually dates back to the International Statistical Institute, which was founded in 1853. So this is a really old organization uh, that was collecting data and having congresses regularly to like talk about what is happening to humans worldwide to compile these numbers and like make it an international global effort. And in the late 1800s, they added to their efforts a list of causes of death. I bet the happy hours that those congresses were just like (laughs) mad, right? Just a bunch of death obsessed people like 
well, they one were, room. They were the I sexual think, energy is just like palpable in there, right? They we were need compiling. They were compiling a lot of like statistics, not just death, but death was among a lot of good stuff. Then too, said <laughs> well, was there some good know, things in there? Probably just like numbers of like too births happy. and how individual humans and. You know, yeah. the, the, all the statistics, Whatever. all the things that people like to compile, yeah. but was, among was, them was, also illness and death. And is also probably orgiastic <laughs> uh, uh, bacchanal, basically, is what we're saying. And like I said, this was really old. So like Farr contributed to this initially. Bertillion would contribute to this. Um, and by the turn of the century, we have a list of diseases for humans and we can refer to that for study purposes or just to understand where we should focus our efforts to, you know, extend, save life, et cetera. Um, Now in this country, the use for this list took a turn after world war two, because initially, like if you have a list, this is our way of understanding one, like I said, research study, where do we need to put our efforts, our dollars, our time to try to like help humanity, mm-hmm. right? Into the most common causes of diseases would make sense. That's what people were thinking at first. Um, and also like things that are easily preventable. If you're thinking of making a vaccine, a list like this is very helpful because you start looking at statistics, like where can I make the biggest impact? Where right. should I focus my energy first to right. save the most lives? Um, after World War II, it occurred to people that this list would make it really easy for insurance companies mm. to keep track of illnesses that their uh, clients had and billing and who was a higher risk person to insure and who wasn't and so on and so forth. Uh, so this data in this country got really tightly tied to what we now would call billing and coding. So the the my interactions with the ICD-10 have been all electronic, essentially, and clicking buttons in order to code the appropriate thing that goes with a visit, goes with a doctor's visit. Um, and that information, yes, can be used for research purposes and certainly is. I'm not saying it isn't, but also goes for billing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the importance of it for you as a patient is, well, one, you want your data to be accurate, of course, and uh, two, I need to code the right thing so your insurance company covers it, right? Right. Because if my codes are incorrect, you might get slapped with a big bill. Anybody outside of the U.S., I know this sounds wild, strange, but if you live here, you know that it's true because you've had the calls from the insurance company where they said, well, your doctor needed to put this or that. And then you've called your doctor and tried to explain it. And your doctor seems like they don't understand why. And it's true because the medicine we're practicing and the framework of the billing are, are connected, but they're not a direct relationship. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I communicate a lot of us communicate in our documentation what's happening and what we need to know outside of the outside of the codes because those are just click boxes Got and it. those don't tell us as much. But the insurance companies, their computers speak that language. So anyway, how do death certificates fit into this landscape? Because this is the big transition point. Once all of this gets connected to billing and coding, uh, we're expected to put like ICD diagnoses on a death certificate 
You know, we're supposed to use these same things that we click boxes in our electronic health records. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to put these on your death certificate. And so we need to know um, what people die of so that we can focus our research efforts still, right? We can right. monitor things like infectious diseases like we're doing now with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would seem really important who fills them out. Who do you think fills out your death certificate? The doctor that pronounces you dead, like in the movies? Uh, the pronouncing physician does sign it, yes. So who fills out the death certificate? So it depends. Uh, a lot of times in a busy hospital setting, it may it's like a lot of paperwork, right? It goes to the lowest person in the chain of command. So the resident or like a first-year resident, an intern, we would call them, may be tasked with filling out a death certificate. Uh, sometimes they're sent to your primary care doctor's office. Mm. So the person in the hospital signs that, yes, this person has died. So you have the doctor who actually pronounced and, and says, because that's part of it, right? Making sure that we're not declaring people dead who are not dead. Because, you know, we've talked about on the show, we used to do that. So that's part of it. But then the other part is, why did this person die? Sometimes that part will actually be sent to the primary care doctor's office who may, I can attest to this, have not yet been informed that you have passed away. Wow. So I have sometimes, now in a smaller community like ours, a lot of times I'm in contact with family. I knew the person was ill. I know before I get that death certificate that someone has passed away. But not always. Sometimes that's your notification. And so then you're working backwards to try to figure out what what happened in order to accurately fill out this very important government document, correct? I mean, it yeah. should it should be accurate, but you may not have been there or have any idea what happened, and you're the one who has to fill it out. Um, and when you talk about what's on a death certificate, and you can pull up there, I mean, hundreds, thousands of images of these online. So if you want to pull up what a blank death certificate looks like so you can see what I'm talking about, it's really easy to find. I think that they're state by state, so you can look at the one in your individual state. Um, But you'll see that there are usually four lines listed as cause of death because what you're writing is like the immediate cause of death on line one, and then it will say which was caused by, and you list that on line two, which was caused by, and you list that on line three, and complicated by. And I'm an uh, old lady who swallowed the fly yes. sort of situation. And and you have another line for complicating illnesses. So like it wasn't caused by this chronic disease that the person had, but this chronic disease contributed to the process that eventually led to their death. All of that is always listed on a death certificate. So I can't think of a time where I would have ever just filled out, like if we're talking about specifically coronavirus, COVID-19, it is very rare that you would just put COVID-19 on that death certificate because people don't die of, it would be weird to say that you just died of this infection as opposed to what did the infection do to you? Right. And I think that's that's half of the problem. So did the infection cause you to have pneumonia, which then caused you to go into respiratory failure? So did you die of acute respiratory failure secondary to pneumonia secondary to COVID-19? That's how it would be listed. So already we've taken that 
that specific example I just gave you comes out of that 6%. It goes into the 94%, right? Right. Somebody who had cardiac arrest secondary to COVID goes on that list. Somebody who had a stroke secondary to COVID goes on that list. All these people who are, who wouldn't have died had they not gotten COVID are going into this big percentage that they're claiming, well, but these people didn't die of COVID. They died of something else. No, they, they died of COVID. Right. Just caused. Yes. So that's part of it. The other part of it is we always list things that might put you at higher risk for something like that. So you're going to see on that fourth line, things listed like perhaps diabetes type two, uh, smoking, you know, I mean, respiratory, any kind of illness that can be caused by smoking would probably be on there. COPD smoking isn't traditionally, you can put smoking on there though. We probably should more often, right? Because yeah. if we're talking about someone who died of a heart attack and they were a smoker, it would be really helpful for our data to put that on there. Um, but that's not always on there. And that's part of the problem with death certificates, as we're getting to, is one, we don't always know exactly what happened. If someone passes away at home, it is, it's a lot of educated guesswork. Um, because quite often there isn't an autopsy. And so the doctor is doing their best right. with what they know of the patient and what they know might have happened. But there's always the phrase that uh, that is used a lot, um, unknown natural causes mm. or undetermined natural causes, meaning I, I, I don't curse, know. Curse, basically. <laughs> um, but that, so like, we have this, we don't know exactly what happened. It's hard for us to categorize. Maybe we weren't there. Uh, we're trying to be accurate, but we don't want to claim anything that we're not 100% sure of. It's all very uncomfortable. Um, and then there's also like, I think when we talk about this conversation in regards to like, well, but these people already had these other illnesses. I think there's a lot of ableism in this conversation because what's being reflected is this idea that like, well, people are only dying of COVID if they have and then list whatever other chronic disease. Right. That, as if that's a, a permissible death. Right. And, and it's only the old people. It's like, OK, well, exactly. Ageism, it? too. Like, well, right. it's just old people. So. It's not great. I right. Like, I like some old people. <laughs> well, and, and one, My again, that's for crying out loud. It's it's really terrible to say that, like, if a person is above a certain age, their life matters less. And so their death is not as meaningful. Or if a person has a chronic disease, their life matters less. So their death is not as meaningful. These are obviously immoral things to say. But beyond that, um, there's also like it's illogical. Someone who has a chronic disease that is well managed and stable would not in all likelihood have passed away today if they had not gotten COVID. And so that's what the death certificate is reflecting is they're like, well, they had that, but they would have been fine probably if they had not gotten the illness. So the virus is still the responsible agent. It, it, it gets the blame. So I, I think that there's this kind of uh, manipulation of this very, non-specific document that uh, none of us are quite sure what to do with and we all do our best. Um, there are states where there are training courses required in how to fill out a death certificate. Mm -hmm. Not every state. A lot of residents, young doctors, are handed a death certificate to fill out and have never once been told how to do it. Mm. Um, which I know. And like 
of course, as attendings, we're there and available to try to help guide people through it. But this is not a standardized idea. I've had patients before say, you know, that they've lost a loved one and they're waiting to find out on their death certificate. And I've had to sit down and say, let me let me help you understand why that's not going to give you the closure you think and why like the doctor explaining to you what happened it, it's it you're not going to find out anything new on this piece of paper and i think that there's this misunderstanding of how specific and how final and what we can know that can be put on that certificate so this seems to be like if if someone is uh, brings up to you the six percent number this uh, simplified this is very much a it's not the fall that kills you it's the landing Yes. Sort of thing. Exactly. What, what people are saying is only 6% of people died from landing without falling. And it's like, well, yes, but the falling is the the thing, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the, the falling is, so the falling isn't dangerous. And it's like, well, no, no, the fall is absolutely contributing to the landing. The landing part does kill you, but like the fall is what is to blame. Exactly. Or, or I, I've seen people use this analogy and I think it makes a lot of sense too. If your criminal defense is, yes, I shot someone and then they died, but they didn't die from the bullet. They died from the massive blood loss that resulted from it. So I did not kill them. I kind of like mine better. <laughs> yeah. Let's stick with mine. Well, it's letting, like it's letting something off the hook. It's letting the coronavirus off the hook here. And the coronavirus is on the hook for this. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that and manipulating we'll the in court, well, manipulating the data to make it seem like it's not that bad will make people less cautious and yeah. they'll be less likely to comply with masking. They'll be less likely to social distance. Um, they'll be less likely to do all the things that they need to do to limit the spread. Uh, and it's also, I think, a slap in the face to every grieving loved one mm-hmm. who you know, has has lost someone to this virus to turn around and go, ah, well, but they just had this too, or they were also this age or whatever. I think that, you know, that's a that's a morality problem. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the important thing to remember about death certificates. They're, we know that they're flawed. They actually tend to overestimate common stuff and underestimate uncommon stuff, and especially things um, that are new. And so... My thought is, and I think a lot of people have echoed this, we're probably actually missing some deaths that are attributable to COVID-19. I would say the number is not overestimated. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us fear that it's underestimated. Um, Because again, there's that part where if I have a patient who passes away at home, I can't, and they never got a COVID test, I'm not going to say that they passed away from coronavirus i wouldn't assume that why would i assume that that would be right that'd be bad medicine to just say well probably there's a pandemic i bet it's this i'll put that i would never do that um i would put undetermined natural causes because i wouldn't have anything else i mean right and obviously this is not in if there's some sort of foul play scenario that's a totally separate thing then there are medical examiners and coroners and autopsies and all other things happen we're talking about in the absence of that right um so I would say that the number is probably lower than it really is and not higher, um, which is not meant to scare anybody, but it doesn't information should empower us to take action mm. to protect ourselves and to protect our, each other, to protect our whole communities, no matter what illnesses we do or don't have and no matter what ages we are. Fair. So, well, I, I, you know, I agree with that. Um, 
and I'm glad someone finally said it. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Um, we hope you've enjoyed yourself. We hope you learned a little something and came out with this a little, uh, you know, entertained and edified. I'm sorry that it was grim. Nah, it's okay. It's good. There's some, you know, that's life or I mean, not, I guess. Uh, thanks to Taxpayers <laughs> for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to the Maximum Fun Network for having us as a part of their extended podcasting family. And thanks to you for listening. We sure appreciate you. And uh, be sure to join us again next week. Until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.